Hi, guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for an interview, and I'm humbled and, and honored to have Alba Codero Soto with me. Alba is beaming over from the hot, sweltering United States into little cold New Zealand. Uh, but whilst our places of origin are so miles apart, and whilst our temperatures at the moment are so miles apart, the topic that we're discussing today will be very much close to both of our hearts. And that is the topic of trauma and how we can build up resilience after suffering trauma, which most of us will do one day or the other. We don't like it, we don't want it, but life has got other plans. And I wanted today share Alba's story and I guess my story to a certain degree too, because there are parallels so that we can draw from that and that you guys out there don't need to make the same mistakes as we have, um, but rather, you know, listen to us and think, oh shit, I'm not alone on this world going through some not so nice things. So Alba, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's such a pleasure. <laughs> How hot is it over there at the moment? So today is not as humid. It is it is hot but not humid. So I'm enjoying this this outside. It's mm. it's it's nighttime, so it's a little bit of of a breeze. It's it's beautiful. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. I'm looking forward. I'm I'm a summer guy, so I'm I can't wait until we are <laughs> heading back to our summer here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, Alba, you have got well, we have all got a story to tell, and your story goes, uh, starts very, very young. Let's go straight to, to the traumas that you have experienced, because that's really what has defined you, what equally has defined me. Um, start with you first. Sounds good. So I think that before going to, to the fact that, so for me right now, Part of my my purpose is of being a trauma life coach is because of the trauma that I've experienced as a child. So I my memory of my first sexual trauma came to me when I was nine years old. Um, that's not when I first experienced my trauma. I first experienced my trauma about five years prior to that. So probably about three or four years old was when my first sexual trauma um, that I experienced. And this was a trauma from family members. So I had experienced molestation at a very, very young age, which left me very confused, left me feeling a, a lot of shame um, and guilt and anger, even um, feeling like it was my fault, like I had attracted this this attention and and this experience that had happened to me, and I I actually began to blog about it. So I actually have a blog of my my sexual trauma on my website. But one of the things that I recalled when I when I remember the day that I that I recalled my sexual trauma when I was nine years old was when I was confronted with my uncle. My uncle was one of many abusers 
who had taken advantage of me. Um, but this particular person, just with that smile and that look of desire that he gave me, I just knew my body knew. I didn't know in my mind because I didn't have the memory at that time to be able to, to conceptualize what had happened to me. But my body kept score. My body was able to recognize that something was, was wrong, that my body was violated. And in that moment, I just was overcome with, with shame. And I remember looking down at the floor and, and feeling naked in, the, in a room of many. And it was so uncomfortable. It was a rather uncomfortable feeling. And for my culture, something that is normal is that when you meet a family member, you have to hug them and give them a kiss on the cheek. We wouldn't do that now in the middle of COVID, but in, 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 in normal circumstances, we would hug the person and give them a kiss on the cheek. So here I was being introduced to my uncle who I hadn't seen in a very long time. I felt this shame. I felt violated. And I still had to embrace this person um, and give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And I just remember just feeling so tight and so tense in that uncomfortable situation that culturally was normal or okay. Um, and then that night was when I started having flashbacks. And then, you know, it became clearer with time. But I just remember from that moment on, I lived with this guilt and this shame that I just was cloaked over me. And I just knew that everybody knew that I had done something wrong. So from that moment on, that's when I, I, I carried my trauma with me. And then I was able to remember other abusers and other situations and other things had happened after that. But that's, that's really the beginning. And what you described, the guilt and the shame, is such a prevalent thing, isn't it? In all the survivors, regardless, regardless who I have talked to, there's virtually always guilt and shame as the evil twins that are somehow trying to convince you, hey, yes, this is all your fault. It is all you. Mm -hmm. And I think it also has a little bit to do with the egoic mind as well. Um, so if you think about the age of a child, they're in this in this life where the whole world revolves around them, right? So it's me, 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 all about me. Um, so I think about when you think about the stage of development in which yeah. a child is, which is that egoic mind and take into account the fact that they've been robbed of their innocence in the sense that um, it was a situation in which that was my childhood. That was all I knew mm -hmm. at that time. So in, in having that be this new normal for me, that was just something that after a while you, you begin to, to accept almost like this is, this is molded into who you are as a person, um, it makes it so it, it, it's in that moment, it made sense. It made sense that it was my fault. Um, and that's what I had convinced myself for a very long time until I began on my healing journey years and years and years later. It's interesting that, that your younger self had buried all that information had buried it all for what four years five years um, yes and amazing that then one trigger brought the whole thing back out 
if you look back at the the time before nine o'clock, were you were you nine o'clock before you were nine years old? Sorry, um, uh, the were you would you describe yourself as a happy child? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was happy go lucky. I went in with my little happy go lucky self into that room and and it was something that again I like so just to kind of speak of trauma and I think to talk about that that gap in memory that oftentimes happens with trauma. It's what trauma is it's it's an out it's a experience that happens to you. So and it's it's an external experience. And in that moment, there's a disassociation that happens. So because I wasn't in a, a I didn't have the capacity to be able to uh ex- to experience and to and to mentally conceptualize what was happening to me, what happened was is I decided to dissociate from it, right? So I disconnected from that situation. So your body is present, but your mind is not there. Your mind goes somewhere else. And when that happens, there's a gap in time that oftentimes our, our conscious mind ends up on, you know, sweeping far, far away in a way that we really don't remember. And it isn't until a trigger or something comes up. I know that from my personal experience of working with clients, there are some clients that don't remember for a very long time, years and years and years until they they might even give birth and then they have the same sex child and they realize that all of this fear and, and overprotective and all of these things start coming back to them. So sometimes it takes something as drastic as giving birth to someone of the same sex for you to remember and recall these memories. It just so happens that for whatever reason, in that moment at nine years old, my brain was like, okay, you are ready to begin to process this information. Um, even though, again, I was only nine years old, but that was when the the memory came back to me. So it's kind of a defense mechanism that our brain has in terms of being able to protect ourselves from ourselves so that in that moment, we survive, right? So it's a situation in which there's this fight or flight response that happens when you're in a crisis situation and you could either freeze, right? Or you try to fight it. But even then, if it's something that's chronic that happens to you time and time and time again, which is my situation, um, you just begin to become desensitized and you just disconnect from your body um, and, and your memory even gets affected as well. And that's so true. And the trigger, that can be something completely out of the norm we certainly i certainly had in my career a patient who uh woke up from an anesthetic so i i I can't remember it fractured bone of sorts fractured wrist or so and i sent the patient off to sleep and she was in her early 40s she came around and started crying and bawling her eyes out and i thought what the heck and somehow, during the anesthetic, drugs had tickled the brain in such a way that all this buried memory came back out at the time when she surfaced from her anesthetic. So it can be as simple as that. There are case reports where people had local anesthetic uh, into trigger points. Uh, trigger points, of course, that where there is pain and you could argue that there is a there's a strong connection between the the brain, the psyche, the emotions, and certain trigger points. So they had the trigger point injections, and suddenly the flood 
of emotions and recollection of events that happened at a very early stage in their childhood came out. So mm-hmm. this can this this can come at any one time, I think is the message out there. And it can be incredibly confusing, overwhelming, maddening. Um, and that is that is if it is later in your life. How did nine-year-old Alba cope with these memories? How did you, what happened to you? Mm. So I will say that that happy-go-lucky Alba, <laughs> to a certain extent, um, the light was dim, right? And I actually, for the first time right now, I'm going to open up about some some things that are a little bit um, uncomfortable, but you know what? I'm here. Let's, let's let it all out. Um, and I think that something that, that happens oftentimes with a person, a child who has experienced sexual uh, abuse or sexual assault, what, te- what tends to happen is this thing that I consider to be self-soothing behaviors that happen. So um, at that moment where I embodied the guilt and the shame and, the, and just the confusion, right, I felt out of control. And these memories and these flashbacks kept coming back, but more often. And oftentimes, every time I closed my eyes, I, I, was, I was having flashbacks. So I began to do the one thing that made me feel like I was in control, which was that I began to self-soothe by masturbation in that time. And of course, that came with more guilt and more shame, because that's not something that is normal, right? That's not a normal behavior. So in being out of control, I was trying to do something that provide me, provided me a sense of relief and control at the same time. But at the same time, it only made the guilt and shame grow and grow and grow. So it was a situation where I was feeling worse about myself as a result of that. So Another defense mechanism that I had that I adapted and I grew to 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 embody for quite some time that 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 took me pretty far um, was people pleasing. <laughs> so I I then became an overachiever and a people pleaser in school. And I would focus on school all the time. I would dream about school. I'd wake up and I'd have everything ready. And I, and that lit me up. Like I was able to regain a sense of childhood by focusing on my education. And I did well. I did well, not because I was like super intelligent, but because I, I, I dedicated so much time and energy into something that allowed me to step outside of my head and focused on something else. And the fact that I would get accolades and, and, and praise and, and recognition made it so that I was getting that gratification that I needed, that I, I wanted as a child. So I was able to do that. And that, as an adult, I continued to, to feed into that mentality. And I think 
I wanted to actually touch a little bit on what my personal addiction was, um, because I think that with trauma, oftentimes comes addiction, which is a form of self-soothing behavior um, that people have. So it could be related to sex. So it could be sex. It could be pornography. It could be masturbation. It could be um, promiscuity or, or, or toxic relationships or things of that nature. For me, my drug of choice was school, was overachieving, was constantly people pleasing. So always wanting to be seen in a positive light. And that meant I had to check all the boxes. That meant I had to overachieve and exceed at every single thing. (laughs) And that, along with this internal emptiness, there was such a contrast. (laughs) There was such a contrast between the voice in my head and the voice that people were talking to when they spoke of me. And I, I needed that. That's what fueled me. That's what allowed me to, in those moments, survive because I wasn't quite ready to embark on my healing journey of why is it that I feel unworthy? Why is it that I feel undeserving? And why is it that this voice in my head is telling me that I'm not worth living? So... It's important for me to speak up because there are so many people who have these, and I'm going to put quotes on it because an addiction is an addiction nonetheless, but these positive addictions, right? Mm. Right. Mm. Cause <laughs> there's still an issue, right? Because you're in essence numbing yourself and you're running away from a bigger issue, which is this feeling of emptiness on the inside. So there are people who are out there checking boxes and, and getting all of these degrees and getting all of these accolades and all of these things. And we're not okay <laughs> on the inside. We are not okay. And I just wanted to shed a little bit of light on those individuals who are suffering in silence um, because I can relate to that. Um, I also work as a nurse that works in addictions as well. So I make it my job to be non-judgmental and understanding that addiction, or let's say, let's put it this way. Alcohol is not a gateway drug. Marijuana is not a gateway drug. What tends to be a gateway drug is that childhood trauma of neglect, of sexual abuse. Those are the gateway drug that tends to then lead to having to numb yourself from this internal sadness. And and addiction saves lives, more lives than it takes. Addiction does take lives, but it actually saves more lives than it takes in the sense that that individual was suffering and they could have chosen to take their life, but instead they chose to numb the pain, to continue to live another day until they're ready to embark on the journey of feeling their feelings and processing this emptiness until their body is, again, that, that disassociation that happens, until you're able to embark on that journey of self-discovery, until you're able to embark on that journey of self-love that happens from that internal suffering. Alba, it is so weird to see your lips moving and my words coming out. 
<laughs> this is bizarre to the nth degree. I I I have got exactly what you just said. I has I have as a quote in my book, My Steps to Sobriety. I'm talking mm-hmm. exactly about about this the this this fundamental causal relationship between trauma and mental health problems and and the addiction. And whilst you're describing, you've beautifully described it because you actually also described my life. Um, I have, uh, I have, at some stage, figured out that it feels really good if you get praise. And I was mediocre at best at school, and suddenly uh, my stepdad said, "Look, I tell you what, I give you two Deutschmarks for every uh, every." second best <laughs> and i give you five deutschmarks for for every time you come best in class and i thought my dad did the same thing by the way so i'm laughing because my dad did the same thing. <laughs> there you go and very soon there was a tap open for him to pay and he actually said yep. I, I can't actually I continue can't that no paying. i know i know he said, <laughs> he said the same thing and then we had a deal yeah. what happened <laughs> no, no, exactly. <laughs> all of a sudden, they can't afford to pay us. It was a nice competition. It was all good until I was mediocre too. I was not great. I was not the best student. But that money yeah. <laughs> made but, me work even harder. That's so, yes. right. But then, what happened from there? From there, the money was no longer there. But meanwhile, I I had suddenly the. The, the praise of the teacher, that was nice, mm-hmm. uh, but yep. also the, the other kids at school who suddenly said, wow, you wow, I didn't know that you were, well, can you explain that to me? And it felt really good when you, when you were asked uh, to explain something, you could help someone. Even the cool kids in class came to, to the to the guy who, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who in essence, in essence, I felt like a nobody, but now the popular kid thinks all of a sudden sees me. I'm all of a sudden noticeable. I am somebody because now they want to copy my answers. I said, oh. this is kind of cool. <laughs> is it not? <laughs> and I think that was clearly the turnaround for me, but I love it how you put it because I have actually not seen that as an addictive behavior, but when I actually mm-hmm. look at it in the cold light of a day, well, actually, <laughs> yeah, um, mm-hmm. because yeah, I I kept striving and I ended up being not only the best in class, I was the best at school, and then with that, I had automatic entry into into a, a good university. I studied medicine, but I kept going the same path. I always wanted to be the best, the best, the best, and the people pleasing. Oh, for crying out loud. And I want to say something about that, that the people pleasing, so true. But imagine that you're not setting one goal. You're not setting one hurdle that you might or might not achieve. You set hundred hurdles and you yes. want to achieve all of them at the same time. Every, yes. And it's absolutely impossible. When you look yes. just out from the outside, there's no way that you can be always happy, always sportive, always funny, always intelligent, always have done the homework, always be a good son, always be a good this, that, that, that. No way in hell. You just can't do it. And therefore, by definition, every day I prove to myself that I'm a failure. I'm a mm-hmm. failure because I have not achieved what I set out to do which was exactly. the best in everything. Everything. 
The moment you spell it out like that. It's exhausting, that. right? Isn't it exhausting though? Oh, I so, was exhausted for a majority of my life. So what changed? Well, no, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. We can't just jump to the good shit now. No, 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 no. You were, you were still at school. You learned that being, uh, being, Good in school is one thing, but typically school ends at some stage. And mm -hmm. then thereafter, you start tasting that freedom and mm. you start tasting that new life when actually no one looks over your shoulder and you make your own decisions. Now, most of the time, <laughs> it brings out some good stories, I guess. <laughs> so come on, Alba. <laughs> your turn. Oh, man. Okay. So... So fast forward, I, I, I finish, actually, I know I didn't finish school yet. This, this, the, 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 it was during my college years, during my college years, um, I realized that I had no idea of what a normal kind of love was and what that meant. Yeah. So I recognized, at least in the time, in the moment, I felt like I was attracting this certain type of man. But it turns out that I didn't attract it just the same way I didn't attract what happened to me as a child. So when I was a child, I didn't attract someone to violate me, right? So in, in recognition, like in retrospect, I realized that. But in the moment, I felt like I was attracting a certain kind of person. And this certain kind of person was a person that took away my power in ways that was very much familiar. Um, But it was also somewhat comforting because it was familiar, if that makes sense. In a, in and, a bizarre and abstract way, it does. Of because course, it's, of it's, a, it's a repeating story, is it not? Yes. Hmm. Yes. So in that aspect, it's a situation in which I found myself in, in, in a relationship with somebody who's a narcissist. Hmm. And... It was quite a journey. It was quite a journey um, that left me feeling very broken on the inside. And as a result, we've had two ch we had two children together. And then it was the the idea of wanting to keep the family together and 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 all of those things that led to even more emotional abuse and then ultimately physical abuse and, and things like that. So um, in that time, um, I didn't realize what the word narcissist meant. I honestly had the most hope and I saw the best in people and I wanted, you know, to change people and make them better. And I thought by me, you know, being the best that I could be and supporting them that all of a sudden things would change. And, um, it only led to me feeling more broken and more confused. Um, and then ultimately I had to look at my children and say, you deserve better than to have a mother who is in tears. And I have my one and a half year old son wiping my tears away, right? I found myself in this, this moment of desperation where I'm crying all the time. And I have my children looking up to me um, and they're the only ones there to watch, to wipe my tears away. And I said, you know what? Something's got to change. 
Um, so that's when I began to, to disassociate from that relationship, which only led to another negative relationship <laughs> and then another negative relationship. Um, so, so I think the, the relationship journey was, was that of a rocky one as a result of being in relationships with people that took away my power. It's, yeah, a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. And it is, it's interesting. Uh, and there is a saying, hurt people hurt. Um, mm -hmm. was, whilst you were hurt, did you find yourself also on the giving end? Did you find yourself also being not so nice to your children at times? So, yes. Um, and yes. And what happened was, is I found myself after being in a relationship where I was with a narcissist, I was in a domestic violence situation. I had even been raped at one point. I stopped caring about anything and anyone. So I put myself in a situation where I was done being taken advantage of. So I was in a position where I said, you know what? I'm going to be on the taking end. I'm going to take and not care, right? So then I was in a position where I felt like I was going to turn into my abuser and devour anything that came my way and just not care about the emotional connection or damage that I was leaving behind. Mm. Um, and that was very short-lived because it wasn't true to my essence. It wasn't true to who I was as a person. Um, so that in itself was very much confusing. Um, and it left me feeling more, more confused and broken as opposed to gratification. I thought it would feel better, but it really didn't. Um, so that was very short-lived. And luckily, around that time, <laughs> I met my husband And he was able to <laughs> pick me up and be like, you know what? There's a better life than the life that you're leading right now. He didn't say that. I just recognized the, the, the feeling of peace that I felt when I was with him, as opposed to the chaos and the confusion and all the stuff that I had gone through. Um, and I was finally able to take off my mask and be loved and accepted for who I was without the mask. And here I am. And that's such a freedom, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's yes, it is. Oh, that is that that you can be honest about your own needs, and you don't mm -hmm. have to people please. You don't have to to put up that persona that that oh, that that certain type of personality that people need. And it's hard because here I am, a doctor. You're a nurse. We can't just be ourselves. We can't just say at any one time in our professional day, oh, well, I don't really like to now talk to you anymore. I'm, I'm, I want some me time. Well, that doesn't really work like that. Um, so mm -hmm. we have learned to put masks up at any one time. That's part of us. And that's part of many of us out there. The problem is many of us have never learned to take those masks back down. And that makes it so hard. Because you, you try to keep people pleasing and you do that in your relationships. You, you do not spell out that your needs are not being met. You do not 
gift uh, right cues to your partner, to your parents, to your children. There is no honesty. And often enough, there is no honesty about emotions because people are confused about their emotions and they have not mm -hmm. learned to talk about their emotions. Emotions are this weird, funny wave of chemicals that wipes over them. And the next thing you know is there's a hole in the wall or, or the cupboard is, is the door is ripped off. And, and uh, yeah, there are other ways that one can deal with these situations, but it takes trauma to come to a point so far outside of your comfort zone that you have to learn, that you have to engage, that you have to actually have to listen. What the hell is going on behind that mask? What is mm -hmm. what's going on down there, deep inside the brain, where all these bloody emotions are being created? Mm -hmm. How did how did that journey go then? So we had we had the the Alba that was trying to find herself, Alba, who unfortunately felt into the same cycle again and again. And then something changed. How did you meet your husband? How did you did you guys bump into each other? Um, so we actually bumped into each other when I was 12 years old. We dated um, <laughs> in Dominican Republic. And then I ran away from him for a long time. And the reason why I ran away from him was part of my trauma, right? So it's actually interesting how my trauma is intertwined even in my relationship because my abusers were Dominican and my husband is Dominican. So I... In my adult, like in my brain as a, you know, as an adult, I felt as though the picture of my abuser was the picture of my husband. Mm. So I would do this. I don't know if you ever seen American football, but there's this idea of a stiff arm where you mm. go like this, mm -hmm. and you keep, keep them at arm's length. And I was doing that for a very long time. So even though he was there, I would not let him close enough to me to for me to to feel safe or to even feel anything um and it wasn't until I was in that like chaos phase that I was open enough to to allow him in because I wasn't guarded I was kind of like in a in a confused state right that he was able to come close enough to me where my arms wasn't you know far out therefore I was able to allow him close enough to recognize that this traumatic image that I have of, had of him is not the person who he is and that my trauma, my trigger was what was creating that. And part of our relationship and growing forward and, and me having my, my PTSD and my trauma, it meant that even in our relationship, I have to continue to overcome triggers of my past as I'm evolving in our marriage. And in many ways, he has been, again, very acceptant. And I have been able to speak freely about my triggers. And feeling that level of acceptance um, has been very liberating and has created, created even more intimacy, even more of a, of a bond because of that, which is beautiful. To feel safe or feel something. These very exact words. And mm -hmm. it's the to feel something. 
that's the dissociation that's the emptiness mm -hmm. that's the the, mm -hmm. the the hollowness that you prefer over the negative emotions exactly that's, oh yeah it's, uh, yeah i recognize myself there uh so many times over and what a beautiful beautiful fate for you to then had that insight and started mm -hmm. the healing process where but it was not just your husband uh, it was did you seek did you seek counseling did you seek um help through a more professional pathway so yes i see i i my healing journey has been multifaceted in the sense that i've been able to tap into multiple different layers of healing um, my relationship was one because I needed to heal my relationship with men um, in a way that was healthy as opposed to what I had been used to. Um, so that was a big factor. Um, and then I was engaged in therapy shortly after beginning a relationship with my husband, mm. as well as Reiki healing. So right now I'm a Reiki practitioner, so I'm able to provide Reiki healing to myself and to others. Mm -hmm. But at the time, Reiki was another source in terms of trying to heal those, those energy blockage mm -hmm. that I was experiencing that wasn't allowing me to feel safe, that wasn't allowing me to really connect with others in a way that was healthy. Um, and as well as my spiritual relationship as well. So, so my relationship with, with God was, was very much a big part of my foundation and my healing. And that's really beautiful the way you have identified these layers because there is not just one way. And for most people that I've encountered, there are multiple things necessary for them to start coming together into the new version of themselves that they want to be. It takes not just one visit to one gym to now make you physically healthy. It doesn't work like that. You need the nutrition, you need the workout, you need all these kind of things for your muscles to grow and, and learn how to behave. Now, same thing with the psychology. You need the nutrition and the the real nutrition, and you need mm -hmm. also the, to 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 feed your emotional hunger and thirst. You need to find the spiritual, the the creativity, the, the all those kind of things that define you as the new you. And and if you only focus on one thing, then your your journey will be so much harder mm -hmm. and it is yes you need to work on the underlying trauma but you also need to to work on the creating the new habits for your new life so you need to work on your sleep on your hydration on those things that your body defines as the absolute necessities of life you can't heal on an emotional level when your body feels starved or thirsty to the nth degree because you've got still the whole fight and flight going on because your body doesn't actually realize well you know i'm really thirsty does that mean i'm dying of thirst now or you know your body is simple you know it needs what it needs safety mm -hmm. uh, hydration food sleep mm -hmm. this, this mm -hmm. is a, the, the basic minimum so if you only work up there and don't do the, the basics right 
hey, <laughs> you're not winning. Um, so therefore, it's the habits. And then trying to tease apart those things that were not so nice in your life, those things that really hurt you, and the emotions that derive from there. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> the guilt and the shame <laughs> relating to those things that you did to make you feel better. And you didn't know it any better then. Yeah, so mm -hmm. that was the promiscuity. That was the, the sex with as many people as you possibly can because this gave you the quick release, the quick relief, the quick conquer, the quick everything. Add the alcohol in because then you could forget and you were nice and numb. And then you wake up and think, who the hell is that? And what the hell, where am I here? And that is for boys as well as girls. So you've got the underlying trauma, the anxiety that we then numb or that we that we do stupid things with. And then, then we have even more anxiety the next day because we have done stupid things on top of the anxiety. Damn. Um, and I don't know, Alba, I certainly, I have got the badge of honor there. I made these again and again, the same mistakes. And it took me, that took me 40, what, 43 years before I finally crashed down in such a, such a heap of mess on the ground in the gutter before I allowed myself to have to receive the help that I needed. Mm -hmm. And then it took, yeah, the better part of five years to get to get really strong and then i now still am growing because this journey this journey has not just stopped it's not just hey great i'm alba i'm cured 100 percent no. proof certified Doop. uh no <laughs> because you know what alba tomorrow is another day and the gods yes. up there are looking down. Alba, hmm, what can we do with you? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, COVID, COVID is, oh no, COVID was this year. <laughs> COVID is so 2020, we need to think something else. You know? <laughs> mm -hmm. So what I like to say is that um, I am actively healing. And as long as I'm moving, it doesn't matter if I'm moving forward, backwards, yeah. sideways. As long yeah. as I'm moving, I'm actively healing. Yeah. So even when I think back at my coping mechanisms, even when I think back at those situations, I was moving. And even though it felt like sometimes I was moving backwards, I was still actively healing. And mm. at this point, I feel this sense of liberation because I'm no longer connecting myself with the guilt and the shame and the anger. Mm. I do feel that sense of liberation, which is why I want to share my unique principles of active healing, which include the mind, the body, the spirit, and energy healing all in one to provide that holistic approach to healing so that you're able to cover all the bases, reconnect with your body, be able to connect with your, your emotional body and your mind, right? To be able to understand that voice and where did it come from? To be able to understand that you have a higher purpose, to, to understand whose are you? You belong to God. You already have a calling. What is your calling? How can you be more in line with your purpose and your calling? And the energetic aspect has to do with your auric field. It has to do with your chakras. It has to do with making sure that your, your energy is in line. And sometimes that means that certain people that have this energy vampire way about them that you have to 
disconnect and release that person. So therefore you can make sure that you're, you're bright and that you're in line with, with your healing and staying away from certain triggers as well um, is one of the ways in which I am able to, to apply these unique principles and use the tools that I use to help get to a level of liberation, to help other people be liberated as well. And one of those things is literary expression. Like I'm here literally expressing my, my trauma. I am blogging my trauma. I am an author. I'm writing a book called Firestarters. Right now I'm writing a co-authored book called Firestarters. Um, and then I'm going to be writing my memoir. So these are the ways in which I regain my voice and I regain my power mm-hmm. by being able to express what I experienced in a way that that inner child now has that space to be able to express herself um, after being silent for so long. Beautiful. Do you see do you see a conflict of interest as far as your belief in God and Jesus is concerned and the use of energy healing and chakras? No. Yeah. I don't. And I think that that's a really good question that a lot, a lot of people ask. And I, and I also incorporate crystals, right? So crystals has to do with an earthly element that was created by God the same way he created kale and he created <laughs> spinach, right? To nourish us, right? He created these earthly elements yeah, and he, yeah. he, he gave them these, 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 uh, you know, gifts or abilities to be able to heal just the same way kale and spinach heals our body. So yeah. I, I I am strongly believing that the God that I serve has never changed. And he created these things for us to be able to use in the here and now, only to recognize that God is so great that he created all of these things the same way he created our organs to be able to work with each other. He created these things to be able to work with us. So it only amazes me even more to the the, the marvelous things that God is able to do for us and provide for us. So. It works for me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I love your answer. I love your answer. It's the same in medicine when, when uh, there are certain doctors who, who think, no, 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 it needs to be a pill, an injection, or a knife. Anything else? Oh, that's, that's evil. That's over there. That's alternative rubbish. And then on their side, it's the same here. Oh, no, doctors. Uh, uh. And it's rubbish. Bring it together. See what works. We have got nine billion people who are all individuals now okay tablets will do something for maybe 80 percent and and uh, uh, crystals alone might do something for i don't know 10 20 percent maybe well how about we take the the herbs the crystals the the energy healing in its own right the add in some regular movement some oxygen a bit of sunlight and uh, a few tablets where necessary and suddenly you have got a power team of influencers that come mm-hmm. in and make you this enriched new version 3.0 who has dealt with the trauma who is now feeding all the levels that it that needs from nutrition to sport to oxygen to to your spirituality your creativity oh it's beautiful it's beautiful and Where does that stop? I don't know. You don't know. We only know what is right now. And you only know that that right now you can you have choices. 
you make a choice. Mm-hmm. Do you do you want to do X or do you want to do Y? That's as simple as that. You come to the crossroads, mm-hmm. right or left. It's, it's simple. But if there's a crossroad to something potentially really nice and positive and there is the the crossroads to sort of the darkness and the wallowing in pain. Um, let me think. Why not try that mm-hmm. side? Exactly. <laughs> and be exactly. open. Be open. Because here's here are people like Alba who has been there. She has got she has got the honor badge of some really nasty things in her life. And she has grown because those things have happened to her. And she is now a very different woman who is defining herself by her achievements, by her newfound skills, newfound insights. Well, wouldn't that be cool if you are in a similar situation as Alba has been to actually talk to her and and just have a chat and just sort of mm-hmm. figure out, well, you know, tell me a bit more. How does it work for you? And, you know, maybe maybe she can help you as a life coach, mm-hmm. as a as mm-hmm. a as a as a spiritual and and creative guide, however you want to call it. If 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 the coaching is if you don't like the word, don't get hung up about words and labels. Uh, get hung up about possibilities and and on get hung up on on personalities and see if you gel. So if yeah. people. If people listen to this and say, "Wow, I need to get to know Alba better," and where where can they find you? How can they they so, get to you? My and I actually wanted to share just the same way you and I are able to share in this space, and I'm sure you can feel my energy from there because I can feel yeah. your energy all the way over here in Boston. <laughs> the beauty about it is is that I can provide services virtually to anyone anywhere all over the world, and that's where. I'm inspired. I am inspired to be able to provide this much needed resource, this much needed service to anybody, anywhere, wherever they are. So um, my website is Alba Soto TLC, A-L-B-A-S-O-T-O-T-L-C, stands for Trauma Life Coach and also Tender Love and Care. (laughs) So (laughs) TLC.com. So again, albasototlc.com. There I have my blog. There I'll post my book. There you can schedule a 30-minute free consultation to see if I am a good fit for you because when you decide to invest in yourself, becoming a better version of yourself by by investing in a life coach. It's a situation in which it's important to know that the person you vibe with, that you gel with, that you have very similar chemistry so you can open up with that person because I even though I consider myself to be non-judgmental, even though I consider myself to be a very open person, not everybody gels with everybody. So I always provide a 30-minute free consultation session via video or phone, whichever someone prefers, um, to see if we're a good fit. And I not only provide one-on-one coaching, but I also provide group coaching services as well. So the premium package is you have me all to yourself, you have your goals, and we work on dealing with your trauma, moving past your trauma. How does your trauma impact your finances, your relationships, your emotional health, your career, all of those things? And how can we move you beyond that? And then the group coaching has to do with you create a sisterhood. You have a tribe, a community of resilient women who have experienced similar things, maybe not the same thing, but similar experiences that then you can grow from them 
create this sense of community and you also have my coaching services as a group as well. Um, so those are the services that I provide for my website. They can follow me on Alba Soto TLC on Instagram, on Facebook. My name is Alba Cordero Soto. And yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> and I think I want to stress that that your particular skills are really surrounding women. And yes. so that is your strength. Having said that, there are so many men who mm -hmm. have been abused as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them through church or through through other uh, groups where pedophiles had easy access access to them mm -hmm. or in their families. It is uh, it is important to recognize that we all have got our strengths. So Alba mm -hmm. uh, primarily works with with women. Um, do you take on men at all, or you rather say, "Look, I, I, I'm better just with my story. I can better chill with women." Yeah, so that is that is the case. Is that I had to reflect and recognize that that is my strength. Mm -hmm. And while I understand that there is a need, my hope is to create a. a a bigger vision. I won't share all the details of my bigger vision, but my bigger vision <laughs> is to be able to provide yeah. trauma life coaching with, I have amazing individuals who I have in mind. They, they may or may not know that they have a gift of being a life coach and that they're going to work alongside me. One amazing male that I have that has personal experience. Um, but I do have a bigger vision. Um, right now I'm focusing on what is my expertise what is my niche and then from there i'm going to be expanding to a greater greater purpose and greater vision so it's just the beginning i have lots of amazing <laughs> dreams and, and aspirations and yes and that's see guys that's what happens when you deal with the shit in your life and you start growing and you you just can't stop Okay. It is just, it goes from one beautiful day to the next beautiful day. And I always say, I want to create a life where yesterday is jealous of today. And that seems to be what I'm succeeding in at the moment. And I love it. I love it. Yes. I want to scream to, to heavens that I, yes. that I can do that. And if there is a God, I'm not sure about that. If he uses me as a, as a tool to 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 influence others and and support others this way and and bring this lovely community together here of of healers coaches and and people who are spirited enough and honest enough to share their emotions their dreams their their things that they really want to keep rather hidden away but they share these stories and therefore make this a better world how beautiful is that and so yeah. that's that's you know if you guys if you guys like what what you heard here today tell it to your friends and say hey look you know guys if you wanted to to listen to this nut job there in new zealand i think he is onto something because he's bringing all these cool people across he is a bit boring but the all the cool people that he talks to they, they make up for it so just listen into it so my steps to sobriety is here to stay and it is here to make this a bit better world and um, because i'm healing with every interview i have i get new insights new stimulation uh new uh, new ideas for collaboration so it 
only gets better and it only gets gets great so guys jump on board this is a great train it's a bit of a nut train a <laughs> crazy train <laughs> but hey <laughs> we've done far worse things <laughs> alba thank you so so much for coming onto my show i'm really really grateful uh, to your honesty to your insights you have been a great guest and you guys out there look after yourselves and and just step back from this podcast or from this video think for a moment and and make one little decision one decision that brings you a little bit closer to the new you just one little one a moment of gratitude eating something healthy going for a walk or going to the gym uh thinking should i draw a painting whatever it is make that one decision and maybe tomorrow make another good one look after yourself out there life is too short bye <laughs>